You want to do a angry welcome to Poetry? Welcome to Poetry, the podcast where we try to talk about poetry. I'm your host today, Koya, with my other host, Yuki. I'm in a bad mood. Let's do some poetry. Let's do some poetry. sweetness sometimes it's a little bit yelling it's yelling poetry and so the poem we picked today uh we hope will amplify that feeling a little bit (laughs) so scary yeah (laughs) yelled right into my ear holes yeah sometimes poetry is yelling directly into zoom at your (laughs) co-host i couldn't think of a of an angrier poem on short notice but i did want to do an angry poem and this is a little it's not really angry it's it's actually just kind of sad but i but there's people to be angry at in the poem so i think that'll be good how are you doing yuki i'm doing well i uh i really like this poem a lot yeah it it does make me angry it makes me like uh what is that phrase rightful indignation that's righteous indignation oh righteous what did i say yeah rightful I think oh, both yeah. work, but I think the, the phrase is usually righteous indignation. I feel like it's relevant because uh, English is not my first language. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I make idioms. Uh, <laughs> we'll see in the poem how that happens sometimes. All right. Yeah. Should we read? If you'd like more background on Leung Lee Lee's life, you can find it in our episodes on Trading for Heaven, Sweet Peace in Time, and Self-Help for Fellow Refugees. But today's background interlude is brought to you by Persimmons. In a 2017 China Daily article by writer Pauline Lo, she discusses the cultural significance of persimmons in China. The following persimmon facts are taken from her article, Persimmons, Gifts of the Gods. Persimmons are native to Asia and widely cultivated in China, the Korean Peninsula, and in Japan. In Northern China, The large, squat, round fruit with a belly fold around its middle is most common. This is the astringent variety, and it must be thoroughly ripened before it can be eaten. Country folks have various ways to hasten the process. In the old hutong, persimmons were cheap treats in late fall to winter. They were laid outside on windowsills and roof ledges to freeze as temperatures dropped. When it was time to eat, the fruit were taken indoors while eager mouths gathered and waited. The whole frozen persimmon would be submerged in a bowl of cold water as it thawed, and when a crust of ice floated on the water, it was ready to eat. Every child would be handed a persimmon and a spoon, and it was like eating a half-frozen fruit sorbet. Part of the reason a lot of Chinese persimmons used to be dried and preserved is because it is such a fiddly fruit. When it is fully tree-ripened, it does not travel well at all and will bruise very easily. Most fresh persimmons are sold when they are still hard and full of tannin. When they are brought home, they must be set aside in a covered container with a banana, or more often than not, with an apple, the other fruit of autumn. Dried persimmons are excellent dry rations because of their high sugar content and nutrition. They are also highly popular in desserts such as sweet soups, cakes, and cookies. There are few fruits native to northern China that grow so abundantly and are so affordable. It is little wonder, then, 
that this sweet, luscious fruit is often called the God's gift to the common man. Persimmons by Leung Lee. In sixth grade, Mrs. Walker slapped the back of my head and made me stand in a corner for not knowing the difference between persimmon and precision. How to choose persimmons? This is precision. Ripe ones are soft and brown spotted. Sniff the bottoms. The sweet one will be fragrant. How to eat? Put the knife away. Lay down newspaper. Peel the skin tenderly, not to tear the meat. Chew the skin, suck it, and swallow. Now eat the meat of the fruit, so sweet, all of it to the heart. Donna undresses, her stomach is white. In the yard, dewy and shivering, with crickets, we lie naked, face up, face down. I teach her Chinese. Crickets, chew, chew. Do, I've forgotten. Naked, I've forgotten. Me, what, you, and me. I part her legs. Remember to tell her she is beautiful as the moon. Other words that got me into trouble were fight and fright, wren and yarn. Fight was what I did when I was frightened. Fright was what I felt when I was fighting. Wrens are small, plain birds. Yarn is what one knits with. Wrens are soft as yarn. My mother made birds out of yarn. I loved to watch her tie the stuff. A bird, a rabbit, a wee man. Mrs. Walker brought a persimmon to class and cut it up so everyone could taste a Chinese apple. Knowing it wasn't ripe or sweet, I didn't eat but watched the other faces. My mother said, every persimmon has a sun inside, something golden, glowing, warm as my face. Once in the cellar, I found two wrapped in newspaper, forgotten and not yet ripe. I took them and set both on my bedroom windowsill, where each morning a cardinal sang, the sun, the sun. Finally, understanding he was going blind, my father sat up all one night waiting for a song, Ghost. I gave him the persimmons, swelled, heavy as sadness and sweet as love. This year... In the muddy lighting of my parents' cellar, I rummage, looking for something I lost. My father sits on the tired wooden stairs, black cane between his knees, hand over hand gripping the handle. He's so happy that I've come home. I ask how his eyes are, a stupid question. All gone, he answers. Under some blankets, I find a box. Inside the box, I find three scrolls. I sit beside him and untie three paintings by my father, hibiscus leaf and a white flower, two cats preening, two persimmons so full they want to drop from the cloth. He raises both hands to touch the cloth, asks, which is this? This is persimmons, father. Oh, the feel of the wolf tail on the silk, the strength, the tense precision in the wrist, I painted them hundreds of times, eyes closed. These I painted blind. Some things never leave a person. Scent of the hair of one you love. The texture of persimmons in your palm. The ripe weight. (music) 
You know what's crazy? What's crazy? When I when I think of this poem, I think of how much I hate Mrs. Walker. But when I read the poem now, I'm like, oh, like I I forgot how little of the poem she actually is. That's what I was saying. Like the poem itself is not angry in tone. It's right? just that there is, you know, we have found a scapegoat for all of our, our all of our <laughs> issues, and we've decided to focus on her. Yeah, yeah. Um, beautiful reading. You read it Thank before, you. and it was a little bit different. I I can remember. Ooh. Different. Um, the way you read, I've forgotten. Um, mm. and this one, you were it was more like, yeah you know like uh, i i forgot it ah. uh and in in the other reading it was more like sad and wistful there was a little wistfulness mm. i think too, but it was it was more more despondent when you read it before mm-hmm. first thoughts favorite line i want to talk about the overall theme of the poem mm. first okay what's the theme yuki i don't know what the theme is but the feeling that i get is of someone who is living in between two cultures and trying their best to understand both. But what wins out for me is that this person has, and I think I talked about this before too, like this person has their own innate wisdom, like their own, um, like it's neither you know, the world of Mrs. Walker and American life. And it's not the world of his father. And like, this like very traditional Chinese art and education. It's like, they are creating their own sense of the world based on, you know, all of the things that they're experiencing. So (laughs) to summarize that really long-winded thing, it's like someone who's living in between two worlds trying to understand both worlds, but in the end, making their own meaning, which is unique and valid and maybe better. Yeah, I agree. I think also making making their own meaning that is like keeps them rooted to something too. Like the way persimmons come up um, in his life, like over and over in this way, that is like, you know, the things, the thing that kind of like is meaningful to you and, and that keeps you rooted to something, like a sense of your culture, a sense of who you are, comes up in a way that presents problems for people who are like not familiar with that. And then for other people, it's this sense of connection. You have particular thoughts on what you think persimmons represent in the poem? Yeah, I like what you're saying about rootedness. And I was trying to think like, I definitely see how Mrs. Walker's horrible misbehavior (laughs) is like pushing him towards a sense of rootedness in his Chinese culture Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm trying to find where like the idea of a persimmon pushes him towards rootedness in a different culture maybe it doesn't I don't know I like that idea of rootedness though I don't know if I see if it pushes him towards rootedness like in American culture but it's so much as like in while he's in american culture he is able to maintain the persimmons as like an anchor to Mm. you know who he is yeah and sometimes it gets distorted like with mrs walker you know who slaps him on the head for not being able to pronounce 
or not knowing the difference between persimmons and precision, but herself calls a persimmon a Chinese apple, you know? So it's like doesn't know when it's ripe. And doesn't even know when it's ripe or sweet. And teaches everyone that persimmons taste horrible. Yeah. So now there's a whole classroom of children out there, you know, in like, I don't know, probably like the the mid seventies or something, who just think persimmons taste bad. And they never had another one because of Mrs. Walker. I was just curious. It was like a total um, departure from what we were talking about. Um, One part that feels um, very different to me is the part where he talks about Donna. Mm -hmm. You know, because like a lot of it is like, you know, like the part where he's talking about where he's in class. It's like, okay, I understand the connection to persimmons. Um, It's like, you know, not knowing you know, the difference between two words because they sound really similar to him. And then the part with his father, you know, where he's like giving him persimmons or, you know, his father is telling him about painting persimmons. And I wonder the part with Donna, like there isn't that connection to persimmons. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of wondering why he included that. I agree. It really stands out as being a little bit separate from the rest of the poem and because his other encounters with American culture seemed to be unpleasant in some way. And this one is like really intimate and sweet. And I think it's just that when you assimilate, then you kind of run the risk of losing where you came from. And so to me, the way, and especially like kind of the way he inserted this stanza, like it is kind of jarring the way it jumps from um, the previous stanza to this one. He's talking about this, you know, great intimacy that he's built with his wife and in, in sharing his culture, but has also, you know, lost some of it in the process of, you know, growing up in America and stuff like that. I mean, it, it seems like he's just kind of personifying the process of assimilation where you remember some things, you forget other things. One thing I really like about this stanza, it it's like feels very dreamy and sweet, which is like, like the vibe of when I think of Leong Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels very much in that vibe. Um, one thing I'm feeling when I read that last part, I remember to tell her she's beautiful as the moon. There's something about that that feels like a Chinese poem. I don't know why. Like, do you get that feeling? I don't know enough about Chinese poetry, but I... I, I, I mean, I, I don't I, either. I feel like the the reference to the moon. I mean, it to me, it seemed like it was maybe something like that, but I yeah, don't really know I, enough. Yeah. I don't know anything either, but um, to me, like, you know, cause he's like, oh, I, I remember this word. I want to share that with you. I wish I could remember this word, but I just really don't remember. But that last part feels like, you know, he's not trying to put his finger on something that's already been created. He's like making something new. Right. And he's mm-hmm. like expressing something to this woman that he loves. Um, and it's, just from him you know he doesn't have to point to something from chinese culture or something from american culture yeah totally so yeah i think that that's that's a great point so like this particular stanza is not just about that process of forgetting and remembering in you know in the process of assimilation but also about the about the making something new that like totally Mm -hmm. different that is a result of those those cultural encounters but also kind of greater than that and also would like to point out this isn't necessarily my favorite line but I, no one has ever told me I'm as beautiful as the moon as they parted my legs. Yeah. yeah. And I just, and I'm just like, wait. 
I think people need to read more poetry because I feel like, you know, like back in the day when people like, like that was a part of a normal curriculum, you know, like learning to recite poetry or learning to paint. I feel like that's like very old timey curriculum. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe we've lost a lot of the romanticism and beauty in our lives because you're right like this guy's never told me i'm his i mean he says very (laughs) nice things to me but like that's so poetic you know yeah Yeah, i would love that sky if you're listening (laughs) you think he's gonna listen to this you heard one episode he was like this is not for me (laughs) not for me (laughs) i don't think you're i'm your audience (laughs) which is such a polite way of just being like no no thanks (laughs) he can break my heart in the gentlest of ways (laughs) um okay i want to lean into your surliness because i feel like you know that's a precious gem that we have today what made you feel outrageous rage so i don't i don't think that there's anything in the poem in particular that made me feel outrageous rage but I am channeling my outrageous rage into his interactions with Mrs. Walker because, I mean, you're a teacher. So that's number one. If you're a teacher and you have to resort to slapping a child's head for not knowing something that you failed to teach properly, you're not a good teacher. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I didn't think about when I read this poem the last time was how Mrs. Walker brings a persimmon to class. And to me, that just feels like she's making fun of this kid for not knowing the difference. And so she like went to the effort of going to like an Asian grocery store. Because you know you can't get a persimmon at a regular grocery store yeah. in like yeah. the 1970s, right? So she yeah. like went out of her way to go to an Asian grocery store to get a persimmon just to mock this kid and be like, this is a persimmon. This kid's an idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, I she probably thought, if I can read this person's mind a bit, she probably thought she was being inclusive in some way. I'm just like, oh, this dummy doesn't know what a persimmon is. Let me bring an actual persimmon and then show him. And then he'll feel at home with his culture, <sighs> with his unripe persimmon, you know? I wonder if she Did even she... noticed that he didn't eat it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she even noticed. <laughs> I wonder too. You know, one thing it reminded me of, I remember in like middle school at some time, you know, sometimes our parents would come in and like do stuff with our yeah. classes. Yeah. Um, I remember one time she brought some umeboshi which is like a pickled plum and she brought something else too that was like from Japanese culture and you know she was like giving everybody a taste and she knew everyone would be like ew no it's so sour (laughs) and like it's weird because you know Mrs. Walker is doing this at someone you know it's like this aggression towards a different culture from her own but i'll see but like my mom like brought that on herself (laughs) and on me you know like she she she's like i I think that y'all will really enjoy this process of like exoticizing and like (laughs) (laughs) just like ridiculing a food from my culture i thought it was just so bizarre did she She enjoyed the shit out of it yeah 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 I think, you know what, you know what, though, that actually makes total sense to me, because your mom 
is not Japanese American. She doesn't have to grow up with these kids. Like, if you grow up in America and you do not come from like dominant white culture, you are kind of always a little bit tense about how you're being received in a way that people who grew up, you know, in the old country are not because they're secure with their culture. They grew up around everyone else who had the same culture as them. And they're like, yeah, you know, I'm Japanese, you know, like, I don't need to prove anything to you. Yeah. <laughs> this is <tastes> great. <laughs> you know, I don't care if you like it, but if you, you know, this delicious have... taste is wasted on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're the idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's, I think that that's a, a, uh, generational, like immigrant generational thing of just like, mm. you know, she might feel the need to prove other things, but like, that's not something that she would need to, like, I, I've noticed that, like, first-generation immigrants tend to be a lot more comfortable exoticizing themselves in general. Um, they don't have an issue with it in the way that people who grew up here do. Which yeah. is why, you know, issues of, like, cultural appropriation, for example, I mean, it's it's almost an exclusively, like, American thing at this point. Because when you go to other countries, people are like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it if you love my culture or whatever. So I wonder if there's some sort of, some dynamic like that. That's really interesting. I have never thought about that, but it's so true. You know, like when you go to Japan, like they're so happy for you to like wear a kimono and like, you know, take yeah. pictures and like, you yeah. know, do the, you know, there are places where you can go and get like the Michael, like the geisha makeup done. And it's like, yeah. that feels really weird. <laughs> it's like this beautiful art that these people train for, for like decades. Yeah you know, from the time that they're children and like yeah. for them to be able to wear, like be allowed to wear that makeup is like a demonstration of like years and years of training and sacrifice. And you can just go in and like do it. It's just like so bizarre. But then those people who go and do it, they go home and they don't go, they don't like stay in Japan and like, you know, uh, even if they profit off of whatever it is they might be appropriating they they don't make an industry of it like they're not it's not the same thing as in the states where the issue is the the power dynamics that create entire industries that leave out the people who created you know whatever sort of cultural product it is and so there's like there isn't the same kind of like economic thrust behind it so you know like your mom doesn't have to hang out with those kids in like sixth grade or whatever like she goes home to her japanese family and lives her best japanese life you know, and like, doesn't, she doesn't have to think about like what these kids, like that was that moment, like in that moment, they were like, ugh, umeboshi or whatever. And then she's just like, okay, great. And then I go home. <laughs> I never have to see I, again. <laughs> I got a good laugh. They got a good <laughs> laugh. Yuki sitting in the corner feeling slightly uncomfortable and doesn't understand why. Win-win. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I get kind of a kick out of that too. Um <laughs> No, that's a really, uh, you know, like I've always struggled with the idea of cultural appropriation. And I think that really unlocked something for me because like it has always felt weird to me how, yeah. you know, it it isn't a thing, um, you know, in Japan. But I think you're totally right. Like, you know, when tourists come and do something like that, they're not leaving some like lasting oppressive feeling, yeah. you know, on the people that they're doing that around, you know, like yeah. when people wear kimono for like a halloween costume here it's like very uncomfortable for me right because right, it's right. just like oh like i feel like you're just sexualizing my culture or like yeah. trivializing something that's like 
actually a really beautiful like, and historical art form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, because they're doing that here, I'm left with that uncomfortable feeling. Whereas if, you know, tourists go and do that and I leave, like, it's just like, well, that was a thing that happened. You know, yeah. like, nobody's and the expectations. The expectations are already pretty low. Like, I, like, especially of Americans. I think people think we're bad and dumb. So they're just like, oh, they're going to do this bad and dumb thing regardless. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I also, this is a little bit of an aside, but I have such a vivid memory of watching one of the early seasons of Top Model. And and one of them, Yaya DaCosta, who is a, I think she's an actress now. I think she's in, she's in something. I don't know. But they had to do some shoot where they ate Umeboshi. And she couldn't do it. She thought it was so disgusting that she spit it out. And then like every, like the whole panel, they were like, this is so insensitive. As a model, you have to be able to eat disgusting food. You know? And I was just like, this is, oh all, my God. <laughs> this is all a nightmare. <laughs> it was real rough. But like, I, that, I think of that every time I see Umeboshi in the grocery store all the time. And I'm just like, like in like the health food store and stuff. And I always think of that. Oh. <sighs> That will be most Americans' encounter with Umeboshi. So, sorry. Ugh. Back to persimmons. Back to persimmons. So, one other thing about cultural appropriation, though, is that a lot of times what happens in the process of appropriation, which is so irritating, um, is the way things get distorted. Of just, like, having to tr- take the thing and translate it into this other thing. And I feel like that's what she's doing. This is a... I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't refer to what she's talking about as... Or what she's doing as, as appropriation. But like, you know, calling a persimmon a Chinese apple is weird and dumb. Just call it a persimmon. Is it even called a Chinese apple? I don't know. Is that I, like I mean, a common name? <laughs> I have no Looking idea, actually. Um, but just learn what it's called, you know? Yeah. If it's so important for them to know what a persimmon is, you know, so, so important that you would slap a, a literal child... <laughs> You can just call it what it's called. I mean, that's the whole the whole thing is like she made him learn the difference and then didn't actually utilize the difference. I mean, it was just a, it was just a power play. You know? Yeah. What's yeah, the dude. point? What's the point? What's, What's the, point? the point? Like, what class was this woman teaching that it was <laughs> critical to know the difference? Is it yeah, a I also... botany class? <laughs> So I, I also had that thought because I just I was just like I don't know that I knew what a persimmon was until I was an adult it just never would have come up in school for me it just wouldn't have happened like I, it's just something that I like encountered probably when I was like traveling or something or like in a uh like Asian grocery store but I what is this class <laughs> is it a spelling class like I mean it must be if it's re- if 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 it's coming up in relation to precision you know I don't know. I I feel like I was going to ask if you'd had any like instances like that. And I feel like I have, but I cannot remember them like off the top of my head. The closest thing I can think of to this, it was almost, it's almost the exact opposite of the story you told about your mom, where in in 10th grade, we had to do some project where we brought in like food from our cultures or something. And so I brought in jollof rice and jollof rice is like, as far as African food west african food goes it's like probably one of the most approachable things because it's just like rice and meat and vegetables you know and it's delicious can't go wrong 
And there was a classmate who I shall not name, but was sitting behind me. It was that's who it was. I'll bleep it out, but it was her. Anyway, we brought this in and she was she was sitting behind me. She was just she said, it just looks like peas and carrots to me because there were like peas and carrots laid on top. And I was like, what is your problem? <laughs> like, what What is going on? Why are you so bothered by this dish I brought in that you haven't even tasted yet? Um, and it was just like, I had I had brought in like the most inoffensive thing. Also, it was wasn't very exotic good. enough. It was <sighs> exactly it wasn't exotic enough. It was the, like the exact opposite of your situation with your mom. Um, everyone loved it, by the way. It was delicious. Yeah, it was really <sighs> good. My, my stepmom made it. I don't know if I said that oh. already. No. I do love jollof rice. Everyone loves it. It's good. You can't go wrong. <laughs> That's why I brought it in. It's not. It's actually not my favorite, but um, you know, to, to bring into share with people who've never had West African food before, it's a good, you know, good thing to start with. Other things about this poem. Okay, let's go back to the poem. Let's go back to the poem. I love how the poem ends. I. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing this is the father speaking. It That's just why feels, yeah, yeah. It feels, oh yeah, because he says I painted them hundreds of times, eyes closed. Oh yeah, these I painted. Yeah, this is definitely the father. What do you like about how it ended? I don't know. It just feels very elegant. I don't know. I feel like the end of a story or the end of a poem is kind of like it's a special place, right? That's like what you're leaving the reader with. So it feels really sweet that he's giving pride of place to whatever his father is trying to communicate. And I think the message that the father is trying to convey is that, you know, these parts of his culture are so integral. Like they're so, they're such like, what is that word? Internalized part of himself that, you know, he could do this blind like this is you know he could just paint persimmons which like I couldn't do ever (laughs) you know but he could just do it without even thinking and like the the embodied sense of his culture right like he can just like feel even without looking he can like you know feel the weight of the the brush in his hand and he can sense like how much pressure to put between the brush and the silk and you know you can just like feel it yeah Um, and yeah I I just I really like that you can be so in tune with your culture and your heritage that it's just that natural you're just being yeah I I also so these this is my favorite stanza for sure because it does have that embodied sense that the rest of the poem some, some, some parts of the poem have, but not all of it does. And um, it is, I mean, it's just really remarkable. I mean, it's, it's not just embodied in the sense that like he, like he knows persimmons, you know, he knows them so well that he knows them painted <laughs> on silk, you know? And I love that it ends on this note because it goes through all of this stuff of the things that he's forgetting. The first half of the poem is going through this kind of talking about this kind of process of assimilation and the things that were like, beaten out of him beaten might be a strong word but slapped out of him um the way the way assimilating is is a can be a violent process but then also there can be moments of 
tenderness and that exchange when you're allowed to exchange, you know? Um, and then the rest of the poem is about, you know, his, the, the rootedness that we were talking about earlier. And so to come back to the things that you never forget that never leave a person um, is I think the best way to have ended a poem that started off with what he was being forced to leave behind. And I was thinking when I read this, if I had something like that, like a persimmon that would just never leave me. And I don't, I don't think I do. I don't think I, I don't think I have like an object um, or like a part of my environment or landscape or something that would like take me back to a sense of home and a sense of myself. Um, so I do kind of wonder if Leong Lee Lee, would, would he remember the weight of persimmons, you know? Um, he has this like long storied history with them and they come up in his life in all these different ways. But like, it's not clear whether or not he has the same sense of, you know, persimmons, you know, as a stand in for the broader culture that his father does. And so it's not really clear, but he's connected to his father, I guess. When I think of your family, I always think of art. And so that was like one thing I was like, oh, maybe it's not like an object, but maybe it's like something else i don't know does that resonate with you at all yeah i have like concepts and i i there are like ideas and values that make me feel rooted i don't know that i have anything like a like a like a, a tangible anything in particular that like would bring me back i mean it would be people you know i think that's the thing like when you're not rooted to a place then you have to be kind of rooted to the people around you like that has to be your sense of home yeah i just i'm not sure that i have i've had the experience of leong lee's father have you i don't know yeah i'm trying to think i think actually the closest thing i can think of is different aspects of my grandmother's house so there are certain things like certain kinds of like embodied experiences i had there that if I were like, if I were to to come into contact with something that felt like the carpet in my grandmother's house, that would like trigger like a wave of you know like sense memories. And so, it's not it's not the same thing because it's you know persimmons exist all over the place. So I mean, it's not it's not quite the same thing. But I mean, that's that's the closest thing that I can think of for myself. You know what I think of when I think of your family? Yeah. What I think of food. Because I always ate really well at y'all's house. <laughs> Is there a specific food that you think of? Uh, okay, there's there's two things that I think of. One was one time your dad was like grilling something. It was either chicken or shrimp. I don't remember. And it was really good. This, was, this would have been when we were in high school. It wasn't like after. Um, and then another time where we had curry i probably had curry a couple of times at your house that like you know like the like standard i think it's like the golden curry or uh yeah. whatever brand that is yeah 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 uh mm -hmm. real good Ooh, also um there was one time when we were we spent the night at y'all's house and um your mom had gone to the japanese store and she came back with those little mushrooms i love those things so much and also because you were always bringing food up you went through like a real tiramisu phase <laughs> I did you're bringing in tiramisu a lot and cheesecake uh, of course no one can forget the pie bandit and it smelled like food at y'all's house it always smelled really good yeah yeah 
That's interesting. Yeah, maybe maybe that is like because that's something that I that is something that I internalize like cooking and like making things for people and like you know like I love when someone comes into the house and they're like, "Are you making brownies?" Mm-hmm. You know, like I love that. Like the the house is being prepared for them in that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I that does resonate with me a lot. Like, yeah, it's not it's not really like a specific food or a specific um like connection to Japanese culture but it's like like you were saying it's like that value of like making things for people and you know making something delicious and new and exciting and yeah uh, any final thoughts on the poem my final thought is a very dumb thought which is that I found this poem I think when I was in China and I had gone down to the snack man that I go to or that I went to. And I would always, I would go there like every day and get a sweet potato. And they would always, they would see me coming and be like, here she comes <laughs> getting her sweet potato. And I didn't speak. I never learned enough Chinese to communicate with them, but I could tell they were just like, man, she eats a lot of sweet potatoes. <laughs> um, and they're really nice. And then sometimes I would get, other stuff, other kinds of snacks. And one day I got like a bag of dried persimmons. And I guess I, I, I think I found this poem because I was Googling persimmons. And then this must have come up because I had never read this before. So I was eating a delicious dried persimmon at the time that I was reading this. And I have like my own kind of connection to specifically dried persimmons, which is that um, someone that I dated, he brought me this dried persimmon. And I was like, oh, this is real good. (laughs) And I feel like my history with persimmons is just as deep and rich as Leon Lee's because a man I dated brought me a persimmon once. And then I ate one in China when um, I read this poem. That's my final thought. I'm not trying to detract, but that just feels rude. I want to honor your relationship with persimmons, but I just, my gut reaction is like, no, not as deep. Um, um, I have a question for you. probably right. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer dried persimmons over fresh persimmons? I have an answer for you. I've never had a fresh persimmon <gasps> to this day. To this what? day. Yeah. Because um, you do need to know how to pick the fruit. And I, I don't see them that often because I don't go to, um, when I was in China, I wasn't there. I don't think I was there during a season where you would have gotten fresh persimmons, or at least I wasn't seeing them a lot. Um, and when I see them in the store, which I don't see them that often, or I don't know what looks good in a persimmon. So I've never had one. I think you should try them um, with someone who knows what they're doing. Because persimmons are delicious. Like I'm when they're sure. kind of crunchy, they're delicious. When they're like, they're like, they get kind of like, when they're really ripe, they're like slippy. And like, it's like a texture that you would not expect in a fruit. But it's just, it's like really, oh, it's so good. Um, I guess he does give like pretty specific instructions on how to spot a ripe persimmon. And I guess I could have. Mm. Yeah. Ripe ones are soft and brown spotted. Sniff the bottom. Yes. The sweet one will be fragrant the ones that are really ripe look like they're 
like about to go rotten. The ones that I see in the grocery store are usually they look unripe to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like they they look kind of like hard and plasticky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are good too. They're just like crotchy. They're not like they're not this experience. You know, you can't like okay. peel the skin and like, you know, oh okay. so good. You didn't say what your favorite line was. Uh my favorite line was the the well, it's not a line, but the the last stanza. Okay. Um I really it. loved. I was also I was realizing that this poem is like kind of a I, so I feel like a lot of this poem is kind of reflected off of other people in his life. So mm-hmm. Mrs. Walker, Donna, his mother, who we didn't actually talk about, um, yeah. and his father. And I was thinking about, is that the way that we make sense of our place in the world is like reflecting off of other people? I think to a certain extent. Yeah. It's like, okay, how does Mrs. Walker see my culture? How does my mother see my culture? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, like, that influences how we perceive things. We certainly make sense of ourselves by seeing ourselves reflected in another person, oftentimes. But I think that, uh, and I think that some people would argue that that is the only real way that you can make sense of things. Um, I wouldn't agree because I think that, like, regardless of who he's talking to or who he's interacting with in the poem, this, the constant is still the persimmons. The persimmons are persimmons all the way through. And so if he's connected to that, then it kind of doesn't really matter who's having what sort of interaction because the persimmons still persimmon. So I think that that is influencing how he's taking in the world, but it is not the world itself to him persimmon's gonna persimmon persimmon's gonna persimmon as they say (laughs) i like i got no other final thoughts no other final thoughts do you feel any less surly or any more surly or just the same i actually do feel less surly Mm, the power of poetry (laughs) that's right i knew that that i needed to lean into the anger and come out the other side and I'd be okay. And that's what I did. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, Leong Lee. You didn't even know that yeah. happened. Yeah. yeah, thanks, man, for this and many other poems. Yeah. I feel like he gets me. That's why... Is that not why people read poetry? To feel that they're gotten <laughs> by someone? You know? Okay, that's a really good question. So I read recently, basically, like, Poetry, you know, like stories are supposed to like, you know, there's like a beginning, a middle and there's like a narrative. Right. But poetry is really just meant to like leave you with a feeling and like you can only get that feeling if there's some point of connection. Mm -hmm. Right. And so poetry. Yeah, I think that's right. Like poetry is supposed to make you feel like you're seen or like your your feelings have been felt before. Yeah. Yeah. It can be very therapeutic in that sense. Mm. I like it. I got no other final thoughts. No other final thoughts? Well, then that was this episode of Poetry. Our background interlude on persimmons was taken from a China Daily article by Pauline D. Lowe. 
I recommend reading the article in full for yourself because there's also a recipe for dried persimmon fruitcake that I'm definitely going to make. All links will be available in the show notes. Our music is from Less FM. Do you like what you heard? Rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and enemies and subscribe so you know when each new episode drops. For questions, comments, concerns, or if you have a poem you'd like for us to discuss, hit us up on Instagram or email us at wepoetried at gmail.com. That's w-e.poe.tried. If you want to keep hearing more episodes like this, you can support Poetry by subscribing to our Patreon linked in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See y'all next time.